The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. special correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. Well, welcome everybody. This is Ray Hanania. It's Wednesday, June 8th, 2022. Um, we're glad to have everybody here. We're broadcasting live in Detroit, Washington, D.C., and uh, tomorrow and Thursday we'll rebroadcast uh, in Detroit at uh, 7 a.m. again and uh, in Chicago, 12 noon at WNWI AM 1080 radio. We're also broadcasting live on the U.S. Arab Radio Network online at ArabRadio.us. And, of course, we're live on the Facebook page of Arab News at Facebook.com slash Arab News. Today, we're going to focus on two issues. The first one, our guest is uh, Tony Abu-Akla, who is the brother of slain Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu-Akla. June 11th this week will mark one month since Shireen was killed while covering a rally for Palestinians in Janine, and nothing yet has been officially resolved. The Israeli, Israelis denied her killing, but scores of witnesses said that the spot where Shireen was standing, wearing a vest with the word press emblazoned in large letters, was the focus of Israeli military sniper fire. Ned Price, the State Department spokesman, originally said Israel had the wherewithal and the capabilities to conduct a thorough investigation after denouncing the killing, but nothing's happened. And this week on June 6th, Senator, U.S. Senator Mitt Romney, a Republican from Utah, and U.S. Senator John Ossoff, a Democrat from Georgia, in a bipartisan letter demanded that the State Department conduct a, quote, full and transparent investigation. This prompted Secretary of State Anthony Blinken yesterday on June 8th to say he wanted an independent investigation. Right after we speak with uh, Antone, we're going to talk with Dr. Mufadil Hamada, who is the former president of SAMS, the Syrian American uh, Medical Society, about this growing Syrian refugee crisis across the globe. Um, right now, I want to welcome uh, Anton. Thank you so much for joining us, Anton. I know it's very late by you in Jerusalem, but it's so gracious of you. Please accept my condolences first off. Uh, for uh, your sister's uh, death, it was just tragic. Well, thank you, Ray, for the for the, for your kind words. Thank you for having me. And tell us, I mean, first of all, let's talk just for a few minutes about Shireen. Tell us a little bit about her. You know, a lot of times when these things happen, um, people look at it as a news story. They look at it as a statistic. But she was a great journalist. She was a sister, family member. She's an American citizen, you know, which to me is just uh, outrageous that this would happen to her. Um, she's also from a Christian family. A lot of Americans don't realize that. And not that there's a difference between 
Christians and Muslims, but a lot of Americans who are Christian need to know that she is a Christian, one of their own. Tell us a little bit about her. You know, Shirin, Shirin is, she's more like an angel. She, she was always there for us. She helped the family. She, uh, at many times she supported the family. She was all, all, always uh, by my kids. I have two daughters, one son. She's all, she was always next to them, supporting them, helping them in schools. And uh, she, she was a very helpful, humble person. Uh, she finished uh, school here in Jerusalem at the Rosary Sister School, and uh, she 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 did very good at school. She she then uh, started her uh, uh, university as an engineer, switched to journalism, and she loved it. She was very dedicated to her work. She loved it. She loved her work, and she gave everything to her work. She. She was in every, I'm sure she was almost in every house in, in, in Palestine. She covered every area in Palestine. And she knew Palestine very well. And she always reported facts about the, the, the Israeli occupation. She just reflected the, the, all the tragic moments that Palestinians went through and she she gave a lot for for her work and she wasn't an activist writer she was a professional journalist correct definitely she was completely she was absolutely a, a professional journalist she even refused to show emotions when she was reporting all these facts about uh, atrocities she didn't show any emotions she just wanted to capture what was going on especially in the field uh, indeed, small villages, uh, f farmers, everywhere, anywhere she, 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 she reported from. She was always trying to be, and she, did, she was a professional. And uh, I, I know that uh, uh, the funeral had taken place a few days afterwards. I'm assuming you were at the, the funeral with the casket, but I saw these terrible videos of the Israeli police pushing people, um, pushing the casket, like they were trying to knock it down. Were you there at the time when that happened? Um, yeah, I, I was there at the hospital and we were shocked to see all this uh, uh, police gathering, closing the roads. We, we had very much difficult times to enter the hospital, we as a family and uh, friends and all palestinians came from everywhere to to mourn shireen and to uh, escort her to uh, the church and then we all of a sudden just when we took out the casket from the morgue many i don't know the, um, the number of uh, police uh, israeli pol occupation police they just barged in the hospital, started clubbing with batons, the pole bearers, clubbing them savagely, barbarically, you know, in a way just they wanted them to drop the casket. They couldn't reach the, the, the hearse to put the casket in. They had to back up. And then I was begging the police at that moment. I just told them, just give us one hour. Let us, 
We can finish this in one hour. Just get out of the way. Let us get to the hospital. And you don't have to attack us. They were firing tear gas, uh, stun grenades. Nobody can justify these actions they took at the hospital. It's in no way can be justified attacking a funeral. You know, they didn't leave any dignity for the death, nor for the living. Did, it, did any of the uh, police officers speak to you or the family members about what they were doing? Or I think I was just trying to get to one of them and told them, just give me one hour and we'll take we will be done in one hour. And uh, before, you know, they were still attacking the, the, the mourners. And uh, I asked the I asked the hearse to back up so we can just put the casket in and just go out from the hospital. And that's what we did. It was like sneaking out in a way just to get the casket out. I couldn't even make it with the uh, in, inside the in the uh, hearse. I I was half an hour late to the church to attend uh, her funeral. Where, where did they have the service? Which church did they have it at? It's in the Roman Catholic Malachi Church in uh, Old City, Jaffa Gate. Yeah, that's, uh, that's the a burial. Deep. Yeah, the burial was at the Greek Orthodox Cemetery. Also, it's a walking distance, like 200 meters from the church on, on Mount Zion. Now, Shireen is an American citizen uh, and a journalist. Yeah. What what did the family hear from anybody in the United States, from the government? Did the government reach out to you? Did, you know, President Biden, did the Secretary of State, did anybody reach out to the family to speak to you? Yeah, I, when this took place on May 11th, I was in Jerusalem, but I was in direct touch with my family and I was informed that the U.S. consulate in Jerusalem, they sent uh, some counselors home to support my family. And uh, then we were informed that uh, uh, Mr. Blinken would, would, would call us. Uh, and uh, he did. He was very supportive. And we, myself, I demanded for a uh, an investigation, for an uh, independent investigation to be held by the U.S. And uh, we received lots of support also from the U.S. ambassador. Here, he came to the... Uh, to pay respect and uh, they were supportive but we like i said we wanted we we asked for an independent us uh, it's shireen is an american citizen she's a uh, journalist always even in may beginning of may we heard uh, president biden asking for the freedom of press and we expect uh, the U.S. to uh, initiate a, a, a just probe for the assassination of Shireen as an American citizen, as a journalist, as a Christian. Yeah, and did anybody from the Israeli government reach out to you? No one from the Israeli government ever reached us, no one. That's amazing. That That is really amazing. And uh, now it's been almost a month, you know, this week, yeah, June four 11th. Weeks. 
four weeks and what's happened? You know, Ray, we, we were, we are still gathering our thoughts. The loss of Shireen was a very tragic uh, incident for us. It was really shocking to me, to my family. Uh, but uh, we are getting support from lots of uh, people, mainly from Al Jazeera. They are very supportive. Uh, we're hoping that uh, this, uh, that uh, the, uh, the ICC will, will will accept and proceed with the case. Uh, did you uh, did you request it, or did family members request that uh, when, the ICC investigate this? We, together with Al Jazeera, we agreed on this. This is the best way. We have no hope or no expectation from the Israeli government to to come up with anything. This Shirin is not, unfortunately, Shirin is not the first American assassinated here in in Palestine. There is uh, also Rachel Curry. There is another UK journalist who was killed in Gaza in 2002, uh, Miller. And there is also another Italian who was killed in Ramallah, uh, Rafael Cirello, uh, by the occupation. And unfortunately, it's going on. And there should be an end to this. The US should take a full responsibility to end this. This should not happen again. We hope that there will be a firm stand, not only by the US, but also by the international community to to put an end and to have whoever is responsible for Shirin's assassination to be held accountable and brought to justice. All right. And just so you know, I reached out to the Israelis to see afterwards if I could get them to comment, and I got no response whatsoever from them. I'm going to try because I think they need to answer for what happened. This is an American journalist, an American citizen, and a lot of people in the United States, you know, the media kind of presented it, but not in a big way, because whenever it's Arab, they seem to kind of suppress it a little bit. But little by little, word is getting out that an American was killed, and it seems like more and more Americans are upset by that. Have you sensed uh, any feelings about the Western media, the way they covered it? Uh, I know there are many journalists out there that, you know, report on these things. But were you satisfied with the way it was reported in the Western media? We were really shocked. You know, the assassination of Shirin was shocking to us. But when we saw some of the reports that came out from the mainstream and from Western media, it was really shocking how they tried to flip facts, saying dies at age 52, uh, death of Shireen, you know, uh, it's, 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 this is really sad to hear. Shireen is a journalist, a colleague for these people in the media, and the least they could do is stand by her. It's today is Shireen, tomorrow it might be you. Uh, the, the occupation here doesn't uh, doesn't care if you are an American or unfortunately Italian or European or whatever. They they just shoot you bluntly, targeting you. They uh, they don't really care. So the media who should support and who should stand with us, the family, and make sure they cover every fact. They they just turn around and drop us. 
And that was really very shocking to us. That was really terrible. I, that's uh, really uh, shocking to me that, uh, you know, I've been a journalist 45 years, and whenever a journalist, we didn't care whether it was uh, Israeli or Palestinian or Arab sure. or Muslim or Jewish or Christian, journalists getting killed is a terrible thing because it's, it's like killing the truth. You don't get the facts when you kill the journalist. Um, so it's shocking that, that this has happened. How have you and the family... Now, you live in Jerusalem, correct? You know, me, my, me and my wife, we are in uh, Jerusalem. And but she... I, mm -hmm. Go ahead. I travel around because I, I work with the United Nations and I've been abroad for some time. But usually that's our residency in Jerusalem. Do you, What is life like there for you as a Palestinian? Are you an American also? Do yeah, you have American yeah. citizenship? Yeah, I am. And uh, I, I can tell you, Ray, it's not easy. Going through all these checkpoints, it's a big hassle. They can just put a checkpoint anywhere they want. Uh, even one one uh, person in a motorbike can block the whole street, ruins your day, ruins even anything. You can do anything just because one uh, so-called police, occupation police officer decides to block the street and you're stuck forever there. Not mentioning the, the, the taxes imposed on us, uh, unable to get a... Uh, permit to build the house. Many Palestinians get their house demolished because they couldn't get a license and they need to live. They need to build something for them, for their family to live with. It's living in Jerusalem, as much as we love Jerusalem, it's so beautiful, but it's still a big hassle just because there is an occupation here. And, you know, so often here in the United States, again, because the United States is a quote unquote Christian country, we hear the Israelis say, oh, the Christians, uh, they support Israel, they support the government, um, and they're not mistreated, they're not discriminated against, but it sounds like you are. We definitely are. We can hardly, you know, for the last maybe 10, 12 years, I couldn't get to the Holy Sepulchre during the, the, the Holy Saturday or Great Friday, we couldn't get to the churches because of the uh, checkpoints they impose, the closures they impose on the old city. It's completely off limits for Palestinians and we can't reach any church. It's really, it's, it's a real occupation, really unfortunate. This is probably the last occupation here on earth and we saw what they did at the funeral, the barbaric, savage. They they don't respect anyone. It, if you had a chance to speak with uh, the Prime Minister, Benjamin Neftali, what would you tell him? I would, I would love to speak to him. You know, I tell him as a Palestinian, I would love to have peace and you have to be strong enough to, to, to achieve peace. You are doing nothing. You're just increasing the radicals here in Israel and also increasing the radicals at the Palestinian side. Palestinian side are losing hope every day and that's not good, you know. You could be at least do something good for your people, for the region, 
stretch your hand for peace and you will find many Palestinians who are interested in peace. Enough, you know, there is no need to keep this killing cycle going on. Both sides are suffering from this. You, you, anyone can do this, these things, war, anyone can do war. You can see what's happening in, in Ukraine now. Why don't you be a strong man, you know, just achieve something and do something good for both nations? It's not going to be easy, but it can be done. Are you satisfied with the uh, what the United States has done? Again, she's an American citizen. Are, are you satisfied or do you just see this as it's bureaucracy? Governments always take forever. Um, are, do you think that this is expected, that this would go on? for a month without any resolution or answers? Or how, how do you feel about that, about what they've done? I'm not really satisfied. I can't say I'm satisfied. Yes, they stood to us. Next, you know, they supported us during the first days. We got calls from everyone, but we need something solid. You know, we want justice for Shireen. That's what we need accountability whoever did this should be held accountable this can go on not for Shireen only but for other uh, like i said other americans or other journalists in the uh, covering uh, in the occupied uh, palestinian uh, occupied palestine so there should be something firm and there should be a decision taken by this administration to prevent any future killings of americans I'm sure if this happened somewhere else, they would have acted immediately. Or if this was uh, an Israeli journalist, I'm sure there would have been lots of things, even sanctions would have been imposed on whoever did it. We have uh, eyewitnesses, we have live coverage at the scene, from the scene at the time of the incident, at the time of the killing. And this is very clear. Nobody can deny what took place Shirin was in full uh, gear with uh, clearly press written on it and still was targeted when, when there were no militants at all at that time. No militants whatsoever. And I went there, I saw that area. They can clearly oversee the position where these group of journalists were standing and they could tell that these were completely journalists, not armed, no weapons, they were only armed with their pens and maybe books, notebooks to, to take their notes on. That's all, cameras. And, and you're convinced that you believe that if this was uh, done by an Israeli soldier? I'm completely convinced. After I saw the, 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 the place and i saw i spoke to eyewitnesses i spoke to i saw the reports uh, the, the sorry the, the coverage on on uh, live tv i'm convinced it was the israeli occupation who did it what else do you think i mean what would you say to president biden if he had an opportunity to speak to him i mean i, I know he's expressed the, the government has expressed you know concern over the killing of shireen but um, you know, it has been four weeks as if it's not the priority, but American citizens, when they're arrested or injured in other countries, become a major story when Iran grabs Americans or when they're grabbed in Iraq or Syria. But for some reason, 
you kill somebody in, you know, and the Israelis are the suspects, um, it seems like they're afraid to address it. What would you say to the president if you had a chance to speak to him? I, I would beg him to stop these double standards. I think Israel should be, or whoever uh, shot uh, and killed Shireen should be held accountable. That's what we need. It's his duty as the U.S. president to protect all Americans in the U.S. and overseas. You know, the, the United States is the most powerful country on the world in the world, and looking at Americans getting killed uh, while covering. Uh, 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 stories abroad or reporting from abroad is not acceptable. As the U.S. president, I would urge him to take immediate actions. You know, Israel gets the most aid in in from more than any other country. And if I'm sure, if this was any other country, they would have sanctioned it until someone is held accountable and brought to justice. That's the least he could do. We need justice for Shireen. Simple. Now, a lot of Americans will be watching this and many people in the Middle East, um, you know, broadcast on air, on the U.S. Arab Radio Network um, in the Middle East, here in the United States, uh, on Arab News uh, Facebook page at Facebook.com slash Arab News. So there are a lot of people in the Middle East. What do you say to them about what happened? What, what would you say to the public and to them, the Arabs and to Americans? I would, first of all, I would like to thank all the Arab world for all the condolences and the sympathies they sent to us. It was really helpful. For the Americans, I urge them, you know, we were, we are trying as Shireen's family to reach the most uh, American populace and to tell them that Shireen was just doing her job when she was shot, when she was assassinated. Shireen is a professional journalist, has been reporting from Palestine for the last 25 years, and she deserves to have a just and a... Uh, uh, who, to, to have someone accountable for her killing. This is the least. This is the least that can be done. I, I also would thank... Uh, Mitt Romney and John Ossoff on their letter to, to, to Secretary of State, uh, Mr. Bar uh, Mr. Blinken. And I hope we'll get a, to hear back from, uh, from Mr. Blinken before the 30 days that something solid will be uh, taken to, to hold whoever is accountable for her killing. I know we only have a couple more minutes, but, uh, and again, I, I want to thank you for joining us and, I know this is difficult because you're talking about somebody that you knew for so many years as a part of your family. Um, it becomes a big news story rather than a personal tragedy. I, I don't know how I would deal with a tragedy like that and also have to deal with the media and the world and all the political aspects of this. So I, I give you a lot of credit and I'm sure everybody wants to express their condolences to you. That finally, the uh, I, I'm, we're coming up to the 40-day, um, you know, and commemoration of her death. Is there anything planned uh, for her right now? Yeah, we are having a, a ceremony on the 40th day in Jerusalem. Uh, 
It's also a Roman Catholic uh, church here next to where we live in Beit Hanina. And uh, this will, this is, you know, as a Christian thing, we usually do this on the 40th day. So yeah, we have planned this for for friends, for family, for anyone who would like to participate. It's in, in Beit Hanina, a Roman Catholic church. Yeah, my family is from that area. And uh, we always like to call it Beit Hanania. So, um, yes. and, uh, you know, my cousin, if you go to the Church of the Nativity, Father Samur is uh, related to me. And uh, um, I, I just know that so many Palestinians were just uh, shocked by this. Did, did you get any response from the uh, Palestinian members of the Israeli Knesset, like Ahmed Tibi and those members? Well, they, you know, are they- they were very supportive. Ahmad Tibi, Osama Saadi, they, they were always with us. Uh, even when the Israeli police, uh, you know, pulled me out of the, uh, asked me to go for, to the police station, they came with me and they were always next to me, next to my family. Really, this is really much appreciated from, from them what they did. All right, Anton, any final thoughts uh, before we... Thank you for uh, joining us uh, this uh, this afternoon, Chicago time, early morning, your time. Yeah, thank you, Ray, for having me again. And really, I really, again, would urge all the American people to stand by Shireen and ask for justice. That's what we want. We don't want anything more. We need justice for Shireen. All right. My guest, Anton uh, Tony Abu Akla, the brother of Slain. Palestinian American journalist Shireen Abu Akla, May 11th. It will be one month on June 11th uh, when that happened, and there has been no resolution, not even a form. I don't know if there's even been a formal investigation yet. Has there? Have you been notified of any formal investigation that's taken place? Only from the Palestinian side, nothing from the Israeli side. We don't expect much from them. But only from the Palestinian side, they did uh, the, the, the needed investigation. And nothing from the U.S. side yet? Nothing, unfortunately, nothing. All right. Anton, listen, thank you again. Please accept the condolences of many, thank many you, people from around the world to your family. And uh, bless you, and we will talk to you again. Thank you, Ray. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Thanks. Bye. Uh, that was Anton Tony Abu Akla, the brother of slain Palestinian-American journalist Shireen Abu Akla. We are going to take a quick break. When we come back, we are going to talk about our second topic, uh, the crisis involving Syrian refugees uh, with Dr. Mufadl Hamada, who's the former president of SAMS, the Syrian American Medical Society, uh, about what the status is, not just for Syrian refugees, but refugees across the Middle East and the world. I'm Ray Hanania. We're going to take a break. We'll be right back right after these messages. ArabNews.com, bringing you breaking news from across the Middle East and the latest on Arabs in America. Get inside the latest headlines with expert analysis and insights at ArabNews.com. Join over 5 million Facebook fans and over 10 million monthly readers. ArabNews.com, news that matters to you. Live performances, concerts, music festivals, 
and hot jazz. Moments like these are made possible by the COVID-19 vaccine. So let's work together to continue to be safe and protect each other. Keep those concerts going. Keep the togetherness going by keeping yourself protected and your COVID-19 vaccines up to date. To find your vaccine and learn more, visit michigan.gov slash COVID vaccine. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. Imagine you're on a train track somewhere miles away. A train is headed your way. You can't see it yet, but it's coming slowly but surely. If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may be on the wrong track and diabetes could be heading your way. Bit by bit, the danger is getting closer and closer. So should you stay on the track you're on now or move to make a change and reduce your risk? If you have prediabetes or you're at risk for type 2 diabetes, you may qualify for the National Diabetes Prevention Program in your local community. This one-year program could be the ongoing support you need to put you on the right track. Not only did participants lose weight, they cut their risk of type 2 diabetes in half. Ready to get on board for a healthier future? Learn more about the National Diabetes Prevention Program and what else you can do to manage and prevent diabetes at michigan.gov diabetes. A message from the Michigan Department of Health and Human Services. At Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic in Dearborn, we provide effective physical therapy sessions in order to limit pain and discomfort. Top Rehab provides physical therapy care for any diagnosis prescribed by a physician, and we regularly see and treat conditions such as stroke, TMJ, fibromyalgia, sciatica, joint pain, and more. We use a variety of pain management methods, including modalities, soft tissue mobilization, and therapeutic exercise. If you're in need of physical rehabilitation or physical therapy, get the highest quality health care at Top Rehab. Most insurance is accepted and we're open Monday, Wednesday, and Friday 8 to 6, Tuesday and Thursday 8 to 5, and Saturday 10 till 2. Call for an appointment today at 313-846-0555. That's 313-846-0555. Choose Top Rehab Physical Therapy Clinic on Michigan Avenue in Dearborn. Life's too short to be in pain. The Ray Hanania Show is brought to you by the U.S. Arab Radio Network and sponsored by Arab News Newspaper, the Middle East's leading English language publication with print and online editions in Saudi Arabia, Dubai, France, Japan, Pakistan, England, and the United States. Listen to live radio every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern in Detroit, Washington, D.C., New York, and Ontario, Canada. Or watch the live broadcast on Facebook.com forward slash Arab News. The Ray Hanania Show is rebroadcast in Chicago at 12 noon on Thursday. For more information on the radio stations, live Facebook broadcast, and podcasts, visit ArabNews.com. And now, here's your host, columnist and U.S. Special Correspondent for Arab News, Ray Hanania. And welcome back to the Ray Hanania Radio Show, broadcasting live in Detroit and in Washington, D.C. Um, again, we will be broadcasting uh, uh, tomorrow, um, Thursday, rebroadcasting in Detroit again at 7 a.m. and in Chicago at 12 noon 
um, on the line with me. And uh, Dr. Hamada, how are you? Thank Good. you for joining you? me. Now, I see that you you uh, requested a second access at a better computer. Uh, this is now uh, I'm using my iPhone. I'm thinking maybe if I use my iPod would be easier. All right. Okay, I, just, I, got it. I just admitted you there. I wasn't sure. Okay, I, there you go. Well, this is the first time I've had one guest twice at one time. All right. Yeah. All right. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Hamada. My guest is Dr. Mufadil Hamada. He's the former president of SAMS. And uh, we're going to talk about Syrian refugees, the refugee crisis across the globe. Um, he is a practicing physician, board certified in medical oncology and hematology, by the American Board of Internal Medicine. Um, he completed his fellowship and his studies in Chicago at uh, the University of Illinois, I should say. Um, and uh, he attended Damascus University Medical School. He's a physician with Alpha Med Physicians Group and associate clinical professor at the University of Illinois in Chicago. And since 2014, Dr. Hamada has acted as the SAMS Syrian American Medical Society Midwest Chapter President. He is also a SAMS Foundation board member, a member of SAMS Advocacy Committee and the SAMS Lebanon Committee. I want to make sure I got your intro there for everybody to know you have the qualifications, Dr. Hamada. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, and good to see you, Ray. Uh, I, I know you well from Chicago here and I heard about you and your show and all the good things you do. So it's really an honor for me to talk to you today and uh, talk about a very important subject uh, that you want to bring up today. Yeah, and we have to thank the uh, U.S. Arab Radio uh, Network and the Arab News for making this possible because, as you know, um, being Arab American in the United States, there's very few Arab American media where we can bring these stories out. Um, there are mm -hmm. a few blogs. There are a few... Uh, uh, newspapers, only one of them publishes weekly. Uh, and then we have 40 other newspapers that publish sometimes once a month. So it's difficult to get the stories out to Americans, which is what we're trying to do. But right now, the story is the Syri first Syrian refugees. What's the status um, of uh, Syrian refugees? I mean, how serious is their situation? Yeah, so I mean, honestly, um, thing that has been lost lately is the fact that uh, Syria's uh, crisis, Syria's tragedy continues to be there. It didn't die away. It's actually getting worse and worse. As you know, uh, since the war in Syria started in 2013, 2011, uh, actually Syria um, the uh, was the biggest catastrophe in the world since World War II. What happened in Syria? The humanitarian um, uh, the humanitarian situation, uh, you know, is basically um, very, very, very uh, bad and difficult. And and actually, it's getting worse, not better even though the uh, hostile activities have diminished significantly over the last two years. And generally speaking, you know, in Syria, there's an estimated of over half a million people died over the last uh, 10 years. Um, talking about displacement, uh, in, uh, there are estimated uh, 5.6 million refugees worldwide, Syrian refugees, mainly mo mostly in the surrounding countries. But on top of that, there's 6.9 million 
refugees internally displaced inside Syria. Um, last year, uh, the number of people that needed assistance inside Syria was estimated to be 14.3 million. Today, uh, it has that number has increased to about over 16 million people inside Syria that need uh, assistance. So, um, on top of the refugee crisis, on top of displacement, uh, there is an economic collapse and there is a calamity right now happening in Syria. 70% or more, 75% or more in Syria by the world WHO classifications are now below the poverty level. Have um, this, I was going to say, have the Syrian refugees been forgotten? Is that with all the different things happening in the world now? And uh, Yes, and I think what, uh, you know, it is a good opportunity now to remind people of the Syrian plight, the Syrian suffering, as we witness the same thing happening again and again in um, in uh, Ukraine. So, yeah, it's a good thing to tell them is, listen, uh, you know, Ukraine is going through very bad times, and this is what, you know, what happened in Ukraine happened before in Syria and probably worse. The same tactics used to displace people in Syria are being now used in Ukraine by the same perpetrators. So it is a good opportunity for us to remind people of what happened in Syria as they see what happened in Ukraine unfolding and right in front of them. And that the, the, the tragedy about Syria and the Syrian refugees is it just didn't happen in a vacuum. It just didn't happen in an in a, in a age where there were no social media, no film. Everything that happened was documented. Everything that happened was unfolding right in front of our eyes. But we chose, the international community chose to turn a blind eye to what happened in Syria. We chose not to act swiftly. We chose not to hold the people who did this uh, accountable. And we chose to be deaf to the screams of the innocent women and children in Syria. And, and, and so what happens in Ukraine is a natural progression, is what happens, as Einstein said once, is... The world will not be um, uh, destroyed by the people who do evil, but the people who watch them do it and say nothing. So I think what it happens in Ukraine and what happens down the line is also is a very natural thing. We warned about it before many times in my speeches and my lectures about the situation in Syria. I warned that this is, listen, if we don't act, if we don't take responsibility, this is going to happen again and will happen again and again and again because... Without accountability, there's no one stopping the bad guys. You you mentioned that there were 5.6 million Syrian refugees in the region, correct? Right. And then is that an additional 6.9 million refugees displaced inside Syria that have been? Correct. So correct. It's, we're talking really almost about uh, 12.5 million refugees in Syria, because if you're displaced, you're basically a refugee, correct? It's not just like yeah, been- I mean it's different. But but you know, half of the Amer- you know populations in Syria are displaced now. I mean, listen, the 5.6 wow. million people in the surrounding countries, Syrian refugees f- flooded the world. They 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 tried over 30 countries. Most of them, the vast majority, are in the surrounding countries, mainly um, Lebanon. Uh, Turkey and uh, Jordan. The vast majority are in Turkey, 
But don't remember also, there is an estimated, you know, anywhere like between 800 to a million refugees that were accepted in Germany. And and I know that a number of Arab countries have helped. I know that they provided support. Um, what what is it that the refugees still need? Obviously, I I can't even imagine after how many years now since 2011. We're talking 11 years. Yeah. of being in refugee status. We have the Palestinian refugees. We have the Syrian refugees. And now the focus of the world is on the refugees from Ukraine. Right. Um, what, what's the life like for a Syrian refugee right now? So what I have also said before was mentioned in many in many of my uh, you know, uh, presentations is it's so easy to build a refugee camp. Closing a refugee camp is almost impossible. So what is missing is, you know, right now, the most important factor for those refugees is the last generation. When I used to go to Lebanon in early 2013, I used to go to refugee camps. I would see young kids, few kids here and there. And and, uh, those are kids that came with their parents, Um, you know, and mostly women, by the way, most of the refugees in the world are women held by women. And, And... the population of most of refugees, two thirds of them are women and children. Most, more than two thirds of them are women and children. Wow! So most uh, the 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 thing is, when I go ten years later to refugees, I see those camps are filled with children, and those are aged between one and ten years old. Most of them, most of these kids, don't go to school. Most of them haven't been to school or haven't had a chance to have a normal life. They're prisoners in their camps. They don't have an opportunity to learn. They don't have an opportunity to interact with the host community. They don't have an, uh, an opportunity to be able to learn a, 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 um, uh, you know, a vocation or a job. And by the end of the day, this we call those the last generation. And what is really sad, Ray, is every time I go, I try to interact with these kids, whether inside Syria, as a matter of fact, or in the refugee camps. And uh, I always like to ask them all the time is, what do you want to do when you grow up? And you know what the common, the most common answer I get is nothing. That's the most common answer I get. I will be nothing. And that's really the saddest part of all this refugee crisis is the fact that we have a huge lost generation now that is going to be way, way behind and it's going to be burden on the society for a long, long time. It, it you know, for, in addition to that, most, you know, I think in the Syrian world, the Syrian uh, plight and everything that happened to the Syrian people, women have suffered the most. Women are the biggest victim because they bear the responsibility, most of the responsibility for bringing up those kids. They are uh, the ones that are most neglected and abused and uh, forgotten. And um, what happens is many men go to work or they go to war or they die, they go to heaven, but the rest of suffering is left on many of those women who are at a major disadvantage in, in terms of, you know, having their rights, their health uh, care and their education compared to men. And Dr. Hamada, what, tell us a little bit about what SAMS can do. What what do you do? I mean, I can't imagine one organization helping 
12 million refugees, and, and mostly, as you say, more than two-thirds are women and children, the enormous challenge and need, I couldn't even imagine it. What, what, what can SAMS do, and what do you try to do? So SAMS is a, the Syrian American Medical Society. It is basically... Um, Oh, started as a social organization mainly in 1998, uh, where Syrian American doctors get together, and sometimes they go back to Syria. They give lectures. They try to help with the education system inside Syria. But when the war started in Syria, we said we can't sit by and do nothing. We're going to try to do help the Syrian people. So our first mission started in 2011, but then we decided to turn to a an NGO, a non-governmental organization that provide medical relief to Syria. So in 2011, our budget was $750,000. Our peak budget in 2017 reached $42 million. Wow. So last year, we treated 2.2 million people. Um, most of our work is inside Syria, in the northwest of Syria. But we also have we also have offices in Lebanon and Turkey and and um, Jordan, and we have run medical missions. We have programs in these countries to help the Syrian refugees. We um, in Syria we employ about eighteen hundred uh, healthcare professionals. We we employ doctors and nurses. We run over 11 hospitals and 12 clinics. Um, uh, we provide anything, everything for free. As a matter of fact, uh, from any operation, simple operation of brain surgeries to pregnancies. But also recently we started concentrating on sustainable programs, programs that will help these guys be able to stand on their feet. So we uh, inside Syria, we created many educational programs. We have... Uh, a, a, um, a nursing schools. Uh, we sponsor medical students. We have fellowship programs. We train doctors uh, to be oncologists, to be brain surgeons, to be uh, um, uh, specialists in the ICU. We remotely ran three COVID clinics at the peak of the COVID crisis inside Syria. Um, in Lebanon, in particular, there's a lot of work to be done. For instance, we, we, we partner with UNHCR and we try to cover Lebanese, uh, Syrian, and Palestinian refugees. We cover all three of those refugees and we provide them with services that will cover the cost of their hospitalizations. Well, you know, their co UNHCR covers 80% of their hospitalizations. We cover the rest. But I just came back from Lebanon uh, like a week ago on my medical mission after, uh, you know, uh, on the last medical mission we had in Lebanon. We had um, different services uh, and, and we covered surgeries that otherwise will not be covered by anyone else. No one else will touch it. We, we do a cardiac cath, stenting, uh, procedures. Um, we, we also, you know, some surgeries that are difficult to find a surgeon to perform, like the instance we did, um, we, we brought in a surgeon that specializes in uh, surgeries for uh, kids with congenital abnormalities, orthopedic, pediatric orthopedic, who really perform very difficult surgeries on, on, on kids who had congenital limb abnormalities, congenital hip dysplasias. 
Uh, we did um, very difficult oral surgeries. Uh, we try to do all those things that we have sometimes cataract surgeries because cataracts are not covered by insurances. So at one time, last year, two or three months ago, we did 200 cataract surgeries for people who could not see. So, you know, we, we run those missions frequently. We had to stop a little bit during COVID, but uh, we're back full swing. Our next mission to Jordan will be ne next month, actually. This month, actually, by in, in week, it will start in, in a week. And I think that will be a big mission. We'll like they have like 50 volunteers go on that mission. And what, what uh, do you expect? What should be done? What should the world be doing? Um, I mean, how do we change this? Um, the is are the, you know, are, is enough being done to end it, or is it just enough to sustain the status quo? Yeah, so there's a lot of uh, waste on on, and if they if people would stop spending money on on refugees and start spending money on preventing the whole problem from happening, that same money they spend on prevention can go much, much longer in treating the problem than spending money on, on, on refugees right now. I mean, uh, first of all, you know, you, you know, this whole thing of displacement is, you know, international human rights violation. Um, try to tackle that. Try to make people held responsible for this. Uh, and then try to develop local programs for uh, development and that would help people go back to their homes and, and prevent them from, uh, you know, leaving their homes to start with. I mean, Syria Nor is a different refugee problem than others. I mean, there are a lot of refugee problems, but Syrian refugee problem was basically created by, by war. Uh, and, and you know Syria, you know better than I do. I mean, the Syrian people are the most generous people, the most giving people. Yes. They always historically opened up their doors to everybody, everywhere, from all over the world. They never, ever treated refugees as second-class citizens. They never treated refugees like, like uh, you know, refugees. They, they always welcomed them with open arms. They gave them education. They gave them health care. They gave them, you know, everything they did. It's, hard, it's really disheartening to see what happened to the Syrian refugees and other areas of countries and the racism they're facing and all the doors that are being closed for them. And I, you know, I'm just talking about many Arab countries opened up the doors, you know, that they're very, uh, you know, I'm very gracious for that, but many other Arab countries could do much, 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 much more. And, uh, and uh, I mean, uh, that is really disheartening to see how Arabs treated Syrians. I, I know that, uh, uh, you mentioned that uh, a lot of uh, Syrian refugees are in Turkey, they're in uh, Lebanon, and they're in Jordan. How how does Syria, the government of Syria, treat the ref? Do they do anything for the refugees at all? Not that I know of, no. I mean, they talk about wanting the refugees to come back, but actually many of the refugees don't want to come back. There are so many reasons why they left the country. From those, the conditions are not being uh, met yet. So most of those have their, their home is totally destroyed. They cannot go back to a destroyed home without building a new home. You know, most of them, you know, don't have a jobs in Syria. Some of them are worried about being drafted to the army. So there are so many reasons why they don't want to go back to, the, to, to Syria. Also, some of them are very worried. There are many reports of some men and young men who try to go back because they, you know, they settled their situation with the government, 
ended up being arrested and 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 uh, and basically um, so when you, uh, when you when you say they don't want to go back it's a fear of going back not having any i mean if the government of syria offered them homes if they offered them food um, and they offered them without any type of retribution i bet most of them would want to come back right I, you know, I that that is a very good question. I really I can't answer that. But, you know, honestly, it's after ten years. It's hard to see. You know, as I mentioned earlier, you know, refugee camps are very early to open, very good. But you know, yeah. when you create another generation that has no connection to Syria and haven't been to Syria, I mean, how much do they want to go back to Syria? I don't know. I mean, this is a very tough question to answer. And I, I bet you most of them would want to go, I mean, especially the older ones. But um, it is—it's uh, a tough question: is how do you how do you bring refugees back from? Yeah, the longer the they stay outside their their country, the longer the more difficult it is to have them resettle back in their own origin. If if somebody uh, wanted to help uh, the Syrian American Medical Society or help refugees. Uh, is there a place online where they could go? Of course, where they yeah, could you donate? can go to our website, sams-usa.com, .net, or .com, I'm sorry. .com. All right, sams-usa.com. Right. Got it. Okay, I want to make sure that's clear so we get people uh, going there if they want to help. Any final thoughts? We only got a couple minutes. Is there something that you, that you wanted to say that I didn't ask about? Well, I mean, uh, I mean, I, there's so much to talk about refugees and their, their, you know, their, their suffering, and uh, uh, particularly in Lebanon, I think they suffer the most uh, because of many, many problems. But uh, I think that um, uh, you know, I'm I'm really honored that be able to help uh, these people, and I ask most of people to consider. You know, helping these refugees uh, and and be able to provide them with whatever you know services they can get, uh, and and particularly uh, when it comes to healthcare, I think that uh, is a, a major deficiency that they are uh, lacking right now. And I thank you for very much to bring up this very important topic. I think you know there's. Uh, I think there's Refugee Day coming up soon, uh, and and I hope that more. Uh, more lights will be shed on refugees worldwide. All right. My guest, Dr. Mufado Hamada, former, it, it said former president of SAMS, but you're the president of the Chicago SAMS chapter. No, correct? I am uh, the former president of the Chicago chapter also. Got it. I, I am. Uh, but uh, still yeah, involved with now. Yeah. My and a board member. Right. Let me thank Dr. Mufado Hamada, former president, but a board member of SAMS for joining us this morning. And just to remind everybody next week uh, on uh, the Ray Hanania radio show on U.S. Arab Radio Network and Arab News, we're going to be talking with Congresswoman Marie Newman. Uh, that'll be Jan June 15th. So we hope you'll join us then. I want to thank everybody for joining us. And uh, Dr. Hamada, I know one day we will have a 24-hour radio station and I will give you five hours to talk about what needs to be said because Syrian refugees do need our support. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Ray. Appreciate it. Uh, All right. I hope I'll talk to you soon later. All right. And thank everybody for listening. I'm Ray Anania. We'll talk to you next week, uh, Wednesday. I hope you'll join us. Bye-bye, everybody. Bye-bye.